With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. It is great to have you in on this Friday. A lot of great football this weekend. We had a, <laughs> thank God above, not a good Thursday night game, a very entertaining Thursday night game. It doesn't, it listen, it doesn't have to be like Chiefs Bills from the playoffs last year. Could, could it at least be watchable? Last night, thank God it was. I'll obviously talk about Cardinal Saints. In just a moment, I think I think we finally found finally found the solution uh, to the Cardinals' problems, or at least some of the problems, not all of them, because some of them still exist in the building. I'll discuss that, as well as the Los Angeles Lakers predictably starting 0-2, considering the fact that they probably played the two best teams today in the Western Conference. I'll discuss that, and of course, at the end of the show. It's my favorite thing to do on carving it up is NFL predictions. Coming off an eight and six uh, week six, so you know a couple games over five hundred. Certainly some improvements to be made there. We got 14 games this weekend, including last night and Monday night, of course, both of which I won't predict because I've already predicted yesterday's game, which I did predict the Cardinals to win. I'll predict Monday night's game, that slugfest, Bears, Patriots. We'll, we'll, we'll save that, I guess, worse for last on Monday. But a lot of great games on Sunday. You got a Super Bowl rematch in there. <clears throat> okay, you've got Dak Prescott's return. You got a lot of intriguing matchups. Some, some seemingly must-win games. For some teams that made the playoffs last year that are now 3-3, three and three, fascinating, fascinating matchups uh, coming up this weekend in the NFL. But first, Christian McCaffrey is a San Francisco 49er. Something I did not think that I would be saying on today's show. I figured that I'd be saying Christian McCaffrey is a Buffalo Bill. Or he's a Kansas City Chief. Or based on some of the reports the last 48 hours, he's a Ram. But no, it is the 49ers who step in and grab him uh, in exchange for a second and third round pick in 2023 and a fifth round pick in 2024. So that's four draft picks, none of them first rounders, but four draft picks for the former All-Pro, first team All-Pro, I should say, running back Christian McCaffrey, who we know is certainly one of the more dynamic players in the NFL. And I'm hearing more people than I expected kind of down on this move. Like, okay, yeah. The Niners got better today. I, nobody disputes that. Okay, they absolutely, as great as their running backs are, as good as Elijah Mitchell is, and he had a great rookie year last year, was the second-best rookie running back in the league. 
yes, you upgrade at that position. But a lot of people are like, ah, gave up a lot of, excuse me, gave up a lot of draft picks, gave up a lot of compensation just to acquire a guy who has missed a lot of games since 2020. Okay, I see some merit behind that argument. I do. But I think it is an outstanding trade for the San Francisco 49ers, and there's three reasons why. Number one, if nothing else, what this means, because Christian McCaffrey was going to get traded. Okay, the Panthers weren't going to, you know, in going this full rebuild that they're going into, they're not going to have a player as great as Christian McCaffrey and get absolutely nothing for him. That you, you want to get something for him, considering the fact that, like I said, you are going into a full-on rebuild. They might, they flat out might be tanking at this point. I mean, come on, they got Baker Mayfield, PJ Walker, and Sam Darnold at quarterback. They're tanking. They just traded Robbie Anderson. They just traded McCaffrey. Brian Burns is probably likely to be next, possibly DJ Moore. After that, Panthers in a, a yard sale right now. So if nothing else for the 49ers, Christian McCaffrey did not end up on their greatest competition for the NFC West, that of course being the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. He did not go to the team that, who knows, they very well could see in the Super Bowl again the Kansas City Chiefs, who they happen to play on Sunday. Okay? He didn't go to another team that they could possibly play in the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills. If nothing else, they got him, and their rivals don't. Their greatest competition of getting to, and in some cases, win the Super Bowl, is not on those teams. He's with them. Secondly, people are a little concerned about their injury, uh, Christian McCaffrey's injury problems. Well, thus far, we're going to knock on wood for him. Thus far, he's yet to miss a game this season. Okay, he's played all six games, and guess what? He's fourth in the NFL in, in, in uh, yards from scrimmage. That's, I mean, that's, that's about what we expect from Christian McCaffrey. Keep in mind, this is the same guy who just three years ago had 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving. He's only the third player in NFL history to do that. So again, the talent is undeniable. And then third... He's going to a Kyle Shanahan offense that is perfectly suited for him. If Christian McCaffrey goes to the Kansas City Chiefs, now we're talking about the great offensive mastermind, Andy Reid, and I still think he would have been a great fit in Kansas City. Make no mistake about it. But that's, that's a Patrick Mahomes offense. It's running through Mahomes and only Mahomes. They've had their running game here and there with Edwards Alaire, and they had that Damian Williams kid a couple of years ago when they won the Super Bowl, but it's a primarily pass first offense. It, that's how Andy Reid's always been. So McCaffrey probably wouldn't have gotten the touches that maybe you'd expect to say he gets in a Carolina. He could have went to a team like the Rams or the Bills who might have overused him. Buffalo tends to be really wishy-washy in terms of committing to the run or not with Devin Singletary or whoever the other running back is. And in the case of the Rams, they have a history of developing good running games. But again, you want to keep Christian McCaffrey healthy enough to, to make a playoff run. In some cases, some of its injuries, the fact that the Panthers kind of ran him into the ground. Why? They don't have any consistency at the quarterback position. At least they have it since McCaffrey's been there. So now he goes to San Francisco in what is a run-first offense with... Without a shadow of a doubt, the best coach in the NFL when it comes to run schemes, Kyle Shanahan, the West Coast offense, okay? Popularized by the great Bill Walsh, certainly Mike Shanahan. Kyle's dad used it in Denver with guys like Terrell Davis. And Kyle Shanahan has used it to absolute perfection in San Francisco. And because of the fact 
that you already have a guy very similar to Christian McCaffrey in terms of how the 49ers use him on offense. Debo Samuel. They run the ball at Debo. They throw it to Debo. Heck, Debo's thrown passes before, as I pointed out numerous times in the show. He is the do-it-all offensive player. Well, now you can alternate. You, you want to really keep a defense on their toes? Put number 23, because Christian McCaffrey is now number 23 with the 49ers. Put number 23 to the left of J Jimmy Garoppolo and number 19, Debo Samuel, to the right of Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, man, you, I mean, listen, I don't know what you're supposed to do if, if you're a defense game plan for that. You can play both of them in the slot. Matter of fact, Brandon Ayuk, they've used sometimes the running game. Elijah Mitchell's coming back healthy. So Christian McCaffrey is not going to be in every down back. They can use him as a slot receiver more than the Panthers did. They can obviously run the football behind what is a dominant offensive line, certainly in run blocking. It all is going to come down to for the 49ers, because to me, this makes them better today. The only thing they really sacrificed was depth. Because, and as well as the 49ers are drafted, and they have drafted exceptionally well, especially at the defensive line. Give credit to John Lynch in that department. But of any of the, again, second, third, and fourth round picks from next year's draft, and then the fourth round pick in 2024, what are the chances those guys are going to be give the same amount of impact to San Francisco that Christian McCaffrey is? That I think teams, I've, I've, I've been on this for the longest time. I think teams are at times too married to draft picks because you have to, you have to, 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 to look at the risk-reward aspect of it. What are the chances that an unknown player we don't know who the Panthers now, who the Panthers who own those picks. We don't know who they're going to take with those picks. Who knows? But chances are they're not going to be a generational talent. Certainly not in the second, third, and for, you know, most certainly in the fourth round, more cases than not, the way that Christian McCaffrey is. So given the scheme in San Francisco, which is a perfect fit, given the fact that he won't be used as often as he was in Carolina, thus reducing the risk of injury. That's a plus. And third, they have him and their contemporaries in terms of competing for a Super Bowl don't. That's why I think this is a win for the Panthers. I think and it's, it's a credit to, once again, the front office of San Francisco saying, you know what, man, we are really uncertain at quarterback. We don't know if Trey Lance is the guy. We haven't been thoroughly impressed through the, his first, whatever, five starts of his career. Jimmy Garoppolo, we kind of know what he is. We know what he is, what he isn't in terms of his limitations. But if he sticks to a script, if we run the football, which you can run it now with Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, you can throw it to George Kittle, you can throw it to Ayuk, and, and you can throw it to Debo, and you can throw it to McCaffrey. What this comes down to now, especially with that defense, is Jimmy Garoppolo, don't screw it up. <laughs> That's what it is. I mean, if, listen, folks, if you added it like a Josh Allen-type talent to, to, to this Niners squad, and we know they have, they've had more injuries. I'm not kidding. Literally, they've had more injuries than any team in the NFL in the last six seasons. But health, and if they had a, a Josh Allen-type talent, this team, to me, would be a shoo-in to win the Super Bowl because they got everything. I mean, you, guys, you, you wonder why I've been campaigning, beating my, my hand on this desk for Dak Prescott to get to, for him to force a trade to San Francisco? Which, you know, I, I kind of slumped in my chair a little bit when I saw this trade. I'm like, oh, there went that dream. Because the 49ers have no assets in terms of, of draft compensation to go get a Dak Prescott with their uncertainty at the quarterback position. 
But all in all, I don't I don't know how you could look at this as a negative. Because ask yourself this question. Because this is ultimately why the contending teams make trades. Does this put the 49ers closer today than they were yesterday to winning a Super Bowl? I think you'd be lying to yourself if you said the answer was no. So I love the trade for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, let's see. We've got a few comments here. Grady Edwards, who, by the way, is a uh, Panthers fan. He's a Patriots fan, and he's a Panthers fan because he lives uh, sort of in the North South Carolina area. He says, this will be a good trade for both sides. Considering how much he's been injured, I'm glad what we got. I'm glad we got what we got for him. Uh, hope, hope they don't trade DJ Moore. You don't trade away all your good players. Uh, next young QB needs some weapons. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a good point. And again, DJ Moore is still a young player. Uh, he, I don't think he's gotten paid yet to, to my knowledge. So yeah, you, you can certainly make that argument and you want to be able to, to have enough pieces to where the quarterback has a chance to succeed. And that's going to be all hinged on how you draft next year, especially with all these picks. Now who you hire a head coach, if you were to bring in like a veteran quarterback to start in front of said young quarterback for a certain amount of time, like that's that's all what goes into the rebuilding process. So yeah, that's gonna be interesting to see what the Panthers do from the, uh, from there. Um, but I think all in all, I think this is a great trade uh, for Carolina. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, for Carolina, yeah, they get picks. They 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 get something for McCaffrey. But as far as the 49ers, I think this is this is an excellent pickup. I I, I really do. Fits what they do. The, the 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 risk of injury goes down significantly because he won't be a relied on uh, upon as much. And then as for trying to win a Super Bowl, those other teams don't have Christian McCaffrey. The Niners do. Sometimes that's what it comes down to. That that's why the Rams have made trades like Von Miller. Uh, that's why the Rams were able to snag OBJ when other teams wanted him. The Packers wanted him. You know, uh, I forgot the other team that was going for OBJ. It's I think New England was was interested in him. So there you go. Grady says San Francisco will be in the mix. They'll win 10 to 11 games, but they're still very beatable. Don't think they'll come out of the NFC, though. Yeah, and that's the thing. When when you talk about just pure rosters, and but Grady says, but they got a good shot. When you think about pure rosters, top to bottom, it doesn't get a whole lot better than San Francisco. I mean, we're talking about the best rosters league. Like you're talking about Buffalo. I still think you can't discount Kansas City. Uh, obviously, the Chargers have a loaded roster. I just don't trust their coach whatsoever. Man, and the fact that they're sitting here at three and three, folks, you know what that says? I mean, they've got the coach, got the defense, got now another superstar offensive player. It's, it's It goes back to my concerns at the quarterback position. They are severely limited at the most important position in professional sports. I mean, I, I will go back to, let's see if I can find it. It, it. it comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo, don't screw this up. Do I have his playoff numbers? Let's see. I'm, I'm trying to find them. I do not believe. There they are. There they are. So Jimmy Garoppolo's playoff numbers, I hate to beat a dead horse, but here you go. 160 yards per game, four touchdowns, six picks, 61% completion percentage, 74.1 passer rating, but he has a 4-2 and two record. Why? Because if you look at his numbers and some of those wins, he's throwing folks for sub 100 yards a game. 49ers aren't relying on, on him as much. So when, when the Niners are at their best, it's when Jimmy G throws the ball least. And so that's, that's a little concerning. But then again, you think about if Jimmy Garoppolo makes one throw on a post route to Emmanuel Sanders in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl two and a half years ago, 
Niners are probably champions. So if he's good enough with that kind of with that kind of coaching staff roster, game plan, all that, we'll see. Uh, Grady says he is going to the Carolina-Tampa game Sunday, by the way. Finally seeing my boy Brady. Oh, this is the first time you're seeing Tom Brady play. Congratulations. Yeah, I, I got to see Brady. I was super excited. It was actually my uh it was it was my 18th birthday present last year, getting to see uh the, the Cowboys Buccaneers home opener last year. Actually, it was the NFL season opener uh, with, with Tampa Bay getting their, their Super Bowl banner. And and uh, that was actually Dak's first game coming off that serious ankle injury. That was it ended up being a phenomenal game. Tampa won a walk-off field goal. So, man, congratulations to Grady. Because, like I said earlier, Grady is also a Patriots fan. So, so he's a longtime Tom Brady fan. So, yeah, best of luck, man. I hope you enjoy the game. And that's I've, – I've never been to – I've never been to Bank of America Stadium – uh, as a matter of fact, the Tampa game is the only NFL game I've been to to this point. But I've I've driven by it. It seems like a seems like a nice stadium uh, there in in Charlotte. But uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely listen. Charlotte's a dope town. I'm going to be in town that weekend, next weekend for Golden State Hornets. Give me my first time. Hopefully, knock on wood, he stays healthy this time. Give me my first time seeing my man Steph Curry play. Uh, so that's going to be exciting because I was hoping. I went to Warriors Hawks in Atlanta in March. But if you guys remember a week and a half prior, Marcus Smart dove into Steph Curry's foot. And so that was that. And that was it for Steph Curry in the regular season. Uh, but I did get to, see, to get to see Clay play and he, he, he played pretty well. But my Warriors came up short. But who cares, man? We won the championship. As a matter of fact, I'm actually wearing my Warriors Parade uh, t shirt from, uh, you, you can see. You can see the, the San Francisco sort of design on it from the Warriors' first championship in the city of San Francisco. They actually play the Nuggets tonight, which should be a, a fascinating matchup. De- Listen, Denver got Denver got handed to them by quite possibly the worst team in the league. The, the only team in the NBA where I'd say the front office wasn't thrilled that they won. Now, it's only game one of 82, but you know Danny Ainge is sitting like there, like, you know, cross his arms like, man... We better not put ourselves in playoff contention. I'm trying to get Victor Wimbyama. <laughs> I don't give a crap about wins. I traded all my star players. I'm going to be trading even more veteran players. I want picks. Okay, I, I, and, I, and I want to be able to, to put myself in a position to get the best player, the best prospect that we've seen possibly since LeBron James. So there, that's that. Uh, John John says, uh, nice. He said, you got some, you got some apple juice on it. <laughs> Listen, John, 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 you gotta stop. You gotta stop uh, uh, trolling me about the apple juice, man. You listen. Speaking, of John, I'm glad John's in the chat. Uh, how about those Yankees? They ain't looking so good. They ain't looking so good. Down 0-2 to the Astros. I said Astros in five. I might have, might have short sold them. Whew. And they got Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager. Uh, after the game, he's blaming. <laughs> He's blaming the roof in Houston. Come on, man. Really? Like, because he's he was blaming the for those you don't know, Aaron Judge had, had a homer, a near homer, I should say, in the eighth inning that I think could have put the Yankees up a four to three, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it, it carried it carried literally to the back half of the warning track. And then and the right fielder made the catch just in front of the wall. And Aaron, uh, Aaron Boone was blaming the, the, um, the roof in Houston's like, dude, shut up. Like, nobody wants to hear that. Grady says, bro, I don't know how anybody can watch the Clippers and the health of Kawhi Leonard and say this team is the favorite in the West over Golden State. Uh, makes no sense. 
uh, after last night. Yeah, now I'll, I'll get to Lakers Clippers in just a second because I do have a take on both teams. Uh, but I do want to talk about we had a lot of sports last night. You had game two of the ALCS, which thankfully the Houston Astros won and are two wins away from yet another uh, World Series appearance. And John John says that was a low blow. Listen, that's that's my job. It's your job to it's y'all's job as Yankees fans to low low blow us. Okay, and it's it, it's that's what we do as as Red Sox fans to you guys. And we've been doing it more often than not in the 21st century. Let's put it that way. You you guys, as I as I said all, all the time, okay, Yankees, y'all have the 20th century. Good for y'all. You won 20-some championships, okay? 21st century, it's ours. We already got four World Series championships, and we're just going to keep building that up. Don't know if we'll get 20-something, okay? But we're going to keep building them up without a question. Um, but, yeah, uh, let, let's see. Grady says, uh, y'all got the real finals MVP and Andrew Wiggins. Uh, Clippers don't have that. Uh, no, nah, my man, Steph Curry is a finals MVP. But Wiggins was phenomenal in that finals, though. I've always said Andrew Wiggins was the second best warrior in that 2022 finals against the Boston Celtics. Uh, and he, he got up to a pretty good start as far as I'm concerned in that opening night win over the Lakers. Uh, and no, the Clippers do not have Andrew Wiggins without a question. But last night, Arizona Cardinals and... New Orleans Saints, I did pick the Cardinals to win, although I did not think they would score as many points as they did. I'm not sure how many people did uh, to begin with. But DeAndre Hopkins was back. It seemed like that made a big, big difference for the Arizona offense, which can't be that big of a shot because I've, I've said over and over, I think DeAndre Hopkins still, even at this point in his career, is in that discussion at his best of being the best receiver in all football. The catch radius... The speed, the route running ability, uh, the fact that he's where we give him giving him six three. He's agile, he's a great route runner. I mean, he's he's one of the premier receivers in the NFL. It's one of the worst trades in recent NFL history that the Houston Texans made, trading DeAndre Hopkins for basically nothing. They didn't even get a first round pick in in, in exchange for a guy of DeAndre Hopkins caliber. But I think I think that's maybe what the Cardinals are missing. Now, I, I was one to say before the season started, I don't think the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs, and they still stand by that. I, I think their defense has its limitations. It, they, they had a, a couple solid games last few weeks holding teams to in, uh, in the teens, but you know you look at those some of those offenses, they're not exactly going to blow you away, okay? Seattle, they have their up and, ups and downs with Geno Smith. Okay, Carolina with Baker Mayfield. I mean, come on. Like, that's... You, you play an offense like the, the Saints with the playmakers that they have, despite some of the injuries... I actually predicted Chris Olave to win the Offensive Rookie of the Year award this year, and I'm not sure he's the front runner as of yet, but he has looked excellent thus far through the season. Love what I'm seeing from him, uh, that kid from Ohio State. Um, but I, I think about, I think about last night. DeAndre Hopkins' return, I think, was bigger than people give it credit for. I mean, you look at his numbers. Okay, he had 103 yards receiving on 10 catches. But what a guy like DeAndre Hopkins does, a guy of his caliber, he opens it up for everybody else. So now you've got all the Saints defenders, especially the secondary, looking at one side of the field. How do we stop number 10? When you got to count for guys like Robbie Anderson, Rondale Moore and company. It opens it up for those guys. Opens it up for the running game. You look at Arizona last night, the running game, rushed for 137 yards, almost five yards a carry. Having a guy with the, with the quarterback, with the talent that Kyler Murray has, and then having a receiver the caliber DeAndre Hopkins is, opens it up for everything in the offense. Hollywood Brown, God bless him, knock on wood for him. Uh, hope he's able to recover from a season-ending injury uh, very soon. But he's not a number one receiver. 
He's very good. He's a two. Like he's he's kind of in that CD Lamb category for me. He's he's a very good player. He is not a number one receiver. DeAndre Hopkins takes the top off of the defense, opens it up so that the you know defenses aren't loading the box to try and stop Kyler running or to stop uh, some of their other backs. They had that kid last night. What was his name? Uh, 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 Ingram, who played well, almost had a couple of touchdown runs. You had everybody getting involved in the run game, pass game. It opened everything up. Now, Arizona did have two pick sixes off of Andy Dalton, but take away the points that they got from those pick sixes. Just take those away. Arizona's offense, look, looking through their games this season, that would have been the second most points they had uh, all season long, second only to uh, their second game of the season against the Vegas Raiders. Now, uh, I know a lot of people are making uh, a lot of the uh, the whole Kyler Murray, Chris, Cliff Kingsbury yelling incident where you can see clear as day, all of national, all, all all the country saw it. Where Kyler Murray is walking towards the sideline, takes his helmet off, and tells Cliff Kingsbury to calm the bleep down, calm the bleep down, and they get into a verbal uh, disagreement and they're yelling at each other. I'm not. I'm not. I think people are overreacting to that a little too much. People are saying, "Well, that's the aloof Kyler Murray, and he's not a great teammate." I'm one who who agree. I'm in that camp. Like I'm not. I've never been a Kyler Murray fan in terms of his leadership. The kid is a remarkable talent. At 5'9", to have an arm like that, to be as accurate as he is, to be as athletic as he is, to move as well as he does in the pocket, he's got great awareness. It's, 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 it's something that we've never really seen before in the NFL for a guy that size to be that effective in all those different categories. My issues have has always been the intangibles. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The leadership. What, what kind of guy is he in the locker room? Does he galvanize an organization? Does he galvanize a team? But that said, I don't have an issue with what happened last night between him and Kingsbury. It's football. It is a, (laughs) there is no sport in America, no sport more fueled by testosterone than football. As I always say, the goal of football is to move another grown man against his own will. There's emotions that come with that. Like it is a hard game. And playing quarterback, I've I've been on the record saying I think it's the hardest hardest position to play in sports. You got a million things going on at the same time that you have to process all at the same time. So the great quarterbacks are are, are tremendous. And Kyla Murray, I would I would consider in that group in that discussion of great quarterbacks. Now Cliff Kingsbury, I've been one to say I don't think he's he's I think he's sort of in that Matt Lafleur category. I don't think he's a very good head coach. I don't. When we talk about I talked about Matt Lafleur yesterday. And I've, I talked about it in the week before that in the same same sort of discussion. Adjustments. Like Green Bay is a great first-half team and one of the worst second-half teams in the NFL. They're like bottom five in second-half scoring. Arizona, we talk about how they get off to a hot start, which they did in 2020. They did last year. And then they absolute, you know, come to a screeching halt. They, they just collapse in the last month and a half of the season. Kyler Murray doesn't play well. Nobody really plays well. And Cl- Cliff Kingsbury consistently gets out-schemed by other coaches because he doesn't adjust. Okay, like that's, 
he he prepares for the test. Like I said about Matt LaFleur yesterday, he's, he prepares for the test by using the study guide, right? He assumes the study guide is going to be exactly as the same as the test. And for all my students out there, particularly high school, college age students, we know that is not the case. It is never the case. And if you're not prepared for that, you're going to get stumped. And that's often what we've seen from Cliff Kingsbury. So I don't think he's the right guy long-term for this, this Arizona Cardinals franchise. I don't think he's the right guy long-term to help continue to develop Kyler Murray. Because Kyler is still young. He's only in his fourth year. He's, I think he's still yet to reach his prime. Um, but some of the problems in Arizona, I got fixed last night just because of the fact that number 10 was back in the lineup. Just because of the fact that DeAndre Hopkins was able to make his return. Opens it up for everybody in the running game. In the past game, getting other receivers involved, the, the thing that I hate is just that, that Hollywood Brown, we're not going to be able to see him blossom as that second guy. Because then you have Rondell Moore as your three, and it's like, oh, here we go. And then you have Robbie Anderson as sort of like a, a, a deep ball guy. So we're never really going to see the full potential of the offense for the Cardinals this year because of the injury to Hollywood. But just the fact that defenses have to game plan and make so many adjustments around DeAndre Hopkins makes it that much easier for everybody else, including Kyler Murray. So uh, I, I love I love what I saw for the Cardinals last night. I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs because I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury in the last month and a half, basically from early December on. Uh, but it was a good win for them last night. It certainly gave Cardinals fans a lot more hope than they've had uh, previously uh, through this point this season. Uh, let's see. Uh, John John says, two back-to-back -back interceptions was the difference. Absolutely. Not a good day for Andy Dalton whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> Grady Edwards said he had the Saints defense last night in fantasy. Freaking yikes. Yeah, that, that was, was not a good decision, my man. Not a good decision. That's Saints defense got burned a little bit as of late. Will Cliff Kingsbury keep his job if they miss the playoffs? They'll be right around 500 for sure. Uh, I do not think he will keep his job. Despite the contract extension, four years, what have we seen from Arizona? Missed the playoffs, missed the playoffs, got smoked in their only playoff loss last year against the Rams, and then this year, by your prediction or 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 you know example, missed the playoffs. When you have a quarterback at the level of Kyler Murray, you have a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, some of the playmakers they got on defense, yeah, that can't happen. Zach Ertz in the red zone, you, that that can't happen, and especially in the NFC West, which is not near as good as we thought it would be, and is not the power that it used to be. John John says a number one wide receiver is always a difference. No question. No question about it. Grady says, what do you think about quarterbacks yelling on the sidelines? I'm totally fine with Brady chewing his O-line and wide receivers. I'd rather him not throw iPads. <laughs> but Peyton Manning, Rodgers, QBs in general, showing passion on the sideline makes, uh, makes, uh, shows me guys care. That, that's always been sort of my take on it. I, I didn't – here's – because I've never – I've always defended Brady because – this whole yelling at teammates thing isn't new to Tom. It isn't, you know, Peyton Manning. You saw he yelled at Jeff Saturday. I mean, dog cussed the guy. But then we go out for, for dinner on Thursday. Go grab a beer with Jeff Saturday on Thursday. Like, ultimately, it, it's, not, it's not anything personal. It's not like Peyton Manning hates Jeff Saturday. Tom Brady doesn't hate his offensive lineman. Wants to play better. My, my, I, didn't, I didn't like it on Sunday's game against Pittsburgh just for the simple fact that Tom missed practice on Wednesday because he's 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 – missing, I think they said it's due to family reasons. He's missing either a Wednesday or a Thursday practice to spend time with family. And then Saturday, he missed walkthroughs to go to Robert Kraft's wedding. It's like, it's not a great look when you're playing bad. You missed two important meetings and practices throughout the week. 
and then you, the, you're yelling at the offensive line. Like, it's it's not a great look. Outside of that, I'm fine with it. I, I'm with you. Rodgers, like, I, I've kind of been critical about Rodgers not yelling enough on the sidelines. I am. Like, when he, when like that's what drove me crazy about Jay Cutler. And things weren't going right for the, for the Chicago Bears. Where'd Cutler go? He'd just go to the end of the bench by himself, slump in his, his bench, and just sulk. Not talk to anybody, not talk to, you know, coaches, maybe his backup quarterback, receivers, nobody. Nobody. And, and you need you need your quarterbacks to be that way to keep guys on their toes. You know, sometimes you need it. You, it's better off if the quarterback is the guy yelling at everybody as opposed to the head coach because the head coach is constantly yelling and is maybe constantly a hothead. It's just kind of going to go through one ear out the other. Trust me, I've, I've at my level playing in middle school, high school sports, I've had coaches like that. It's not fun. But it feels different when it comes from the best player on your team, which you hope is your leader. And so as critical as I've been of Kyla Murray, I didn't have an issue with that last night. I, I didn't. Kylo didn't like what he saw from, from, from Cliff. He didn't like, I don't know if he was, he didn't like the look defensively. I don't know if he thought Cliff Kingsbury's breath smelled bad. I don't know what it was, but he didn't like something. He made it be known. I'd rather you do that than be passive aggressive. So I know I'm, I'm in totally, I'm in total agreement with you, Grady. I, I think it, it, you, you put the, you hit the nail on the head. It shows that guys care. It shows that the quarterbacks truly, it, it, this isn't, this isn't a hobby. This is just a means. Football isn't a means to be famous, okay? Because there's a lot of players out there. We won't name any names, but there's players out there who are just in football for the money and the fame and all. No, you want guys who who, who truly care about the game, and that's, you know, I think Kyler Murray does does care about the game. Does he care to the level of, of other guys? You know, some of the reports and the verbiage in his contract regarding film study is a little concerning, but I didn't have an issue with that last night. But yeah, all that to say this, uh, good win for the Cardinals. Now, moving to the NBA, we've already got all kinds of stories early in the season involving the Warriors and the Nets getting smoked by New Orleans, who, by the way, folks, I predicted on Tuesday when I did my NBA show with with Barry, uh, Barry Grant Jr. from the All Even Podcast, which, by the way, go check that show out on Tuesday if you have not. It's my whole NBA prediction show. But I said the Pelicans were going to win a playoff series. I think I think Zion is going to have a huge year. I think he's gonna he's going to flirt with averaging thirty points a game. I really believe that he's going to shoot sixty five percent from the field. That's that's about what he's done through the first part of his career. <laughs> New Orleans going to be a problem. Willie Green has done a sensational job coaching the Pelicans. He's a by the way a Steve Kerr disciple. So shout out to Willie Green the job that he's done. But this 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 Pelicans team, folks, watch out. I think they're going to win a playoff series. Don't think they're good enough to get to the Western Conference Finals quite yet. They're still a little too young, but they're on that trajectory without a question with some of the talent that they have and the coaching that they have. So props to the Pelicans on a great opening night win. But we had a game last night. We actually we had a couple games last night. The Bucs got a big uh, win over Philadelphia, 90-88. to 88. Uh, Joel Embiid's gotten up to a little bit of a slow start this season. I don't know if some of that's just the fact that James Harden has been the primary ball handler and is is – it feels like the offense has run through Harden more than it has Embiid, and Harden's played well. He's averaged over 30 points a game through the first two, but he still didn't want to get the big man more involved, especially considering the fact that he he did lead the league in scoring last year. But you had Lakers-Clippers battle the L.A. teams, and the Clippers won 103-97, to and a lot of people today are talking about the fact that Russell Westbrook went 0-11. for 
Russell Westbrook scored two points, went 0 for 11 from the field. He was horrible uh, shooting the three ball. Uh, Westbrook was, what was he, 0 for 6 from three. But, and, and you know, Tom at the backcourt for the Lakers was bad. A lot of people are putting the blame on Westbrook. And I, and listen, folks, I, I called this, hit the nail on the head on this. And, and I think most people who know basketball hit the nail on the head on this, is that the Westbrook to L.A. thing was never going to work. It's his play, this style of play fits horribly with LeBron. It fits horribly with what the Lakers want to do, at least we think they want to do offensively. Now, credits, I'll give credit to Westbrook in this regard. He was sensational last night on defense. He did an excellent job on Kawhi Leonard late in the game, I thought. So, listen, a lot of guys, I've seen a lot of performances from Westbrook where he's bad offensively and he becomes a liability on defense. He, he allows it to, to affect him on that side of the floor. I can't hate on his defensive performance. I thought he played well on that end. But people are putting the blame on Westbrook or AD's health. I mean, this guy's made a glass, folks. Late in the game, he's holding his back. It's like, dude, it is the second game of the season, and you're already hurt. But Anthony Davis, they call him AD. I say AD don't stand for Anthony Davis. It stands for always down. Charles Barkley once called him street clothes because you always see him on street clothes on the sideline because he's not playing because he's always hurt because he's always down. It's, 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 it's unbelievable with Anthony Davis. And then LeBron, we saw some freakish plays. He had some highlight dunks. He had, um, he had a block early in the game that was called a goaltend. Then he had a great chase down block in the fourth quarter that led to a transition dunk for the Lakers. But here's the issue with LA. Listen, I don't know if Darvin Hand's a good coach or not. I liked the hire. Like I don't, I didn't like how the Lakers made Frank Vogel the scapegoat last year. I think he's a better coach than people give him credit for. I don't know if Darvin Ham can coach. Two games in, I still know LeBron. In my view, is still one of the three best players in the NBA. I know that when Anthony Davis is healthy and if he stops shooting jump shots, it's still very effective. I know that this Lakers team is <clears throat> is uh, borderline respectable. Defensively, they're not bad. Here's the issue, though. In an NBA where shooting has never been more important, the Lakers very well might be the worst shooting team in the NBA. If I look down at the Lakers roster, LeBron James is their best shooter. LeBron James is not a bad three-point shooter. He has improved since he came into the league in 2003. But he's not like a 40% guy. You know, he's 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 not he's he's not even he's not Kevin Durant from three point range. I don't even think he's Jason Tatum from three point range. He's kind of in that Luka Doncic can get hot occasionally, but can be streaky at times shooting from beyond the arc. Like we know, LeBron can can knock down an open three point shot, but you're not going to rely on him to hit six or seven from three point range. Like that's just not his game. But well, LeBron's game is and always has been. For two decades, he's going to be aggressive in getting the basket. And if he can't score there or doesn't think he can score, what's he going to do? He's going to kick it strong side to a shooter. In some cases, weak side because he's that great of a passer. Well, when your team is 19 for 85, for those of you that, don't feel like getting a calculator out right now. I'll help you. That's 22% from three-point range. It limits LeBron, which points to 
the Lakers front office, in particular, Rob Palenka. He's not a good general manager, folks. He's not. Been on this for years now. He's not a good general manager. He got that job for a lot of the same reasons that a lot of people get jobs with the Dallas Cowboys. It's like if you're a former Cowboy or if you're related to somebody with the Cowboys, or if you have some tie to the Dallas Cowboys, you got a lot better chance of getting the job. Even if you're not that qualified, you got a good chance to get the job. Rob Palenka got the job because he was Kobe Bryant's agent. Plain and simple. That's why he got the job being the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers. Was he done? Other than the AD trade, was he done? Name that movie like, oh man, Palenka fleeced them there. It, he, he hasn't done it. And you don't even have to be brilliant. You don't have to be Bob Myers in Golden State. You, you don't have to blow everybody away. But the simple moves. Again, LeBron is at his best when he has shooters around him. Look at Miami. Okay, Chris Bosh could not down an open three. Shane Battier and Mike Miller. Shooters all around him. Mario Chalmers could not down the occasional three. Arguably the second greatest shooter ever, Ray Allen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Could knock down a three, obviously. In Cleveland, Kyrie could shoot. Uh, Love could shoot. Kyle Korver could shoot. J.R. Smith could shoot. Who's the second best shooter? Is it Patrick Beverly? Is it Matt Ryan? Is it Juan Toscano Anderson? My guy, love Juan Toscano Anderson. Champion with the Warriors. Love that guy. But he's not a great three-point shooter. This Lakers front office is completely and utterly clueless about how to build a basketball team in 2022. Just like they were a year ago, when they made all these big moves, they're like, oh, they got Mello, and they got Westbrook, and Dwight Howard, and all these, and DeAndre Jordan, Rajon Rondo, all these big names, all these guys could be future Hall of Famers. I'm like, hey, listen, that's a great team if it's 2012, but it's 2021 at the time, and they're old, and they're not going to be as good defensively, and the majority of those guys can't shoot. I mean, I, I've been on the record numerous times. I said, unless your name is Giannis Antetokounmpo, the most dominant player within five feet of the basket since Shaq. Unless you're him, you cannot be a great player in the NBA if you are not capable of hitting a three-point shot. You can't. You can be an effective player. There's plenty of role players that aren't great shooters that play their role at a, at a, at a high level. Plenty of guys like that. You know, come on, Looney for the Warriors, he can't shoot. He's a great rebounder. He's a good perimeter defender for his size. He can be good down low. But that's the difference between the Warriors and the Lakers. And that's what I alluded to yesterday when I was talking about that game. The Warriors have a team. Everybody knows their role. And they have built that entire franchise around Steph Curry. 
They've surrounded him with shooters. They've surrounded with young guys, and they've surrounded him with veterans. They've surrounded him with guys who 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 have experienced have been in the playoffs, guys who could be their first ride to the playoffs in 2023. Okay, he's got athletic guys. He's got long guys. He's got shooters. He's got rim protection. He's got everything. Giannis, same breath. That's what they've done in Milwaukee. They've done the exact opposite in L.A. with the Lakers. They're wasting the last great years of LeBron James' career. And and like I was I was telling uh I was actually telling Grady I think it was Grady last night and no I was telling Barry this last night I was talking with Barry. I said this I hate the Lakers because they are a rival of my Warriors and up until this this dynasty kind of owned the Warriors so I don't like the Lakers but I don't the NBA is better when LeBron James at least has a chance to compete for a championship. The NBA is better when its best players have an opportunity to compete for a championship, which most of the time that's the case. It's not in Los Angeles with the Lakers. It's just not. This team is clueless about how to build a championship contender. So I've always said they won that bubble championship in 2020. Props. I, I don't, I would say, unless you're the 2017 Houston Astros and you cheated your way to a title, I don't put asterisks next to championships. I don't do that. When people say, oh, Lakers won championship in a bubble. Everybody else is in the bubble. Clippers in the bubble and the Nuggets and the Heat and the everybody was in the bubble. Lakers won it. They just, you know, it's not like the Lakers got to play in a bubble and nobody else did. They won the championship. Hats off to those guys. Aside from that, since the passing of the doc, of Dr. Jerry Buss, what have the Lakers done? What have they accomplished in the last decade? Name the respectable basketball team they put together. I can name the list of awful contracts that they've had. I can list the numerous times that they've been in the lottery. I can list the times where they put together guys who were quote-unquote stars and just assume just because these guys are going to be in in, uh, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame that just because of that they're going to fit together. Shows me how much they know about the game. So, I I can't even get mad at guys like Westbrook. He is what he is. <laughs> there, there's nothing you can... The, the, the problem is the Lakers, and I, I, I've always said Westbrook's a horrible fit. He, he and LeBron are both on-ball players. They're not good off the ball. Westbrook's a bad shooter. LeBron is great around great shooters. Okay, Westbrook, and now last night was kind of the opposite. Westbrook was really good on defense, but more nights than not... Russell's kind of a liability on that end of the floor. His basketball IQ is awful. LeBron's is all-time great. It was, it was never a good fit. But the Lakers are asking Westbrook and Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn to be players that they're really not. From the three-point line, folks, they're like one for 25, the three of them. Well, they're not shooters, so you shouldn't be surprised by that. Now, hitting one three between the three of them is pretty bad, but you expect to be a little better. But still, you're not going to expect them to be 40%, as LeBron himself pointed out the other night. It's it, 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 it's 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 not surprising to me because I've been saying Rob Plink is a bad general manager, but it does suck to see that they are pretty much wasting the last bit of LeBron James' career. Grady says, as a LeBron fan, I just don't understand why we keep having to visit this Westbrook thing. Lakers just freaking trade the man instead of sulking like a loser franchise. Like, sheesh, John Wall would have been an upgrade, and they would have only had to give up one pick. I get LeBron James bears a lot of responsibility, but sheesh, I got uh, I got to absolve him from this. He isn't the one sulking. 
Yeah, and, and and usually, like I remember criticizing, I didn't have a show at the time, but I remember kind of criticizing or being critical of LeBron his first year in L.A., where the pieces really didn't fit him at all. It was like Lance Stevenson and, and, and guys like that. And it was like, wasn't a great fit. But you'd see LeBron's kind of body language wasn't great, wasn't what you would want from the, your quote-unquote leader of your franchise. It's not, not what you want to see from that from that guy. But this year, I, I haven't seen that. LeBron's not playing any less hard. He's, he's working his tail off on defense. He's blocking shots. He's, he's active in transition. He's... He's getting to the basket. He's he's what we expect from LeBron James. I mean, you anybody's criticizing him for this. I don't know what they're watching. But Anthony Davis is hurt. Does that surprise anybody? Russell Westbrook can't shoot. Does that surprise anybody? All these other guys for the Lakers, they can't shoot. Does that surprise anybody? Darvin Ham isn't Phil Jackson. Does that surprise anybody? It's total dysfunction with the purple and gold. And Rob Plink is the first to blame. And to me, Jeannie Buss is in second. Because after all, she is the one who employs Rob Palenka. It's messed up. And like I said, like the Warriors, the Bucks, the Celtics, they're the gold standard of how to build. Well, the Warriors are the gold standard because they won the most titles in the last decade. But even those other teams are sort of, it sort of give you the blueprint of how to build a championship-level team in the NBA. That's simple. All right, so it is that time. NFL predictions. Now, I'm coming off of an eight and six week two. Okay. I, I've, I've really tended to kind of struggle in the early window games and really hit it out of the park in the afternoon games, especially like the, the big game on CBS or America's Game of the Week on Fox or the Sunday night game. I, I've tended to, to be fairly accurate on those, and they've kind of saved me from having some losing record weeks. But overall, if you see it right there, I'll read it for the podcast uh, audience, for the audio audience. Uh, if you com- if you add last night's win, I am 54, 40, and 1 on my predictions. So feeling good, 14 games over 500. Hope to have a – my fir- I haven't had a really great week yet. I think I had an 11 and a 5 week. Was it week 3? It might have been week th- 3 if I'm not mistaken. Let's, let's look here. Because I had a bad week 1. I mean, like a really bad week. No, I'm sorry. I went, yeah, week two. Week two, I went 11 and five. So that's been my best week to this point. So hoping to kind of improve on that uh, as we go. But it's time. Week seven. Cannot believe we are this far in the NFL season, folks. But week seven, the NFL. We got a lot of games to discuss. So let's get right to it. The Atlanta Falcons and the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati is a six and a half point home favorite in this one. You got two, three, and three teams coming in uh, to to Cincinnati, what used to be called Paul Brown Stadium. I don't even know what it's called now. Um, I don't know. It might be some crypto website. Who knows? But Cincinnati's favorite minus six and a half got a big, big win over the New Orleans Saints last week in the Superdome. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, really for the first time all season, felt like they really. Uh, recapture that rhythm that they had last year in the regular season and in the postseason. And so I'm looking at this and I say, okay, Atlanta is the only team in the NFL thus far through the, this season that is six and zero against the spread. Now, <clears throat> a couple of those have been backdoor covers. Week two, they're down by a score that Falcons fans, I'm sorry to say this, are very familiar with, 28 to three against the Los Angeles Rams, but they came back, almost won the game, uh, but ended up covering their end of that spread. And then last, no, a couple weeks ago against Tampa Bay, they're down 21 to nothing. They score 15 unanswered uh, to, to cover the spread there uh, in Tampa Bay, Florida. Now they come in Cincinnati against 
what is quite possibly their worst matchup, the Falcons' worst matchup to this point. Because this is really the first game this season where they are facing an elite quarterback with numerous elite targets. We're talking about Jamar Chase. We're talking about T. Higgins. Okay, Hayden Hurst, Tyler Boyd. A lot of guys, Joe Mixon. And you saw a little bit, and I'll give Zach Taylor credit for this. I was never the biggest Zach Taylor fan, but something that I've seen from him that I haven't seen from other young head coaches, like a Matt LaFleur, like a Cliff Kingsbury, is he's adjusted. Through the first five weeks of the season, it felt like it was, it, it was you know, they ran with Joe Mixon, and then they'd run it again with Joe Mixon, depending on what he got on first down, and then they'd say, hey, Joe Burrow, go be Superman on third down. That's not a good formula to win games. It's not a good formula to put yourself back in that championship discussion, which you were last year. So they've adjusted. they become, I think, more creative offensively, look to see more motion than we've seen in the past. And so I don't think this is a good matchup for all at, at all for Atlanta. I do think the Bengals win this game, and I think they cover. They'll win by a final score of 31-17. to 17, And for the first time, I think all season long, they'll have a winning record. So this could be a big win for Cincinnati to get them back on the winning track after they started 0-2 this season. I think it's like 80-something percent of the time if you start 0-2, you miss the playoffs. Well, Cincinnati's going to look to be an exception to that rule. I think they win this game 31-17 uh, to over the Atlanta Falcons. Grady asked me, is Atlanta for real? If you mean for real by could make the playoffs, I don't think so. Marcus Mariota played phenomenal last week. Okay, Mar Marcus Mariota was great. He's like 13 for 14, almost had a perfect pass rating. He was great when they when they beat the 49ers last week. But I don't think I do think Arthur Smith's done a good job. I just don't know if with some of the limitations they have at quarterback and at offensive line that it's going to be enough to really get them in the playoffs. But I do really like their 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 guys like Drake London, Kyle Pitts. Uh, Grady says he feels like they're a competitive seven and ten team. Uh, I agree. I, I agree. He says they don't have enough to be a playoff team talent-wise. I agree. Moving on to the next game, we got a divisional matchup. The Indianapolis Colts taking on the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Tennessee in this game is favored at minus 2.5 in Nashville. By the way, Titans are getting a new stadium in 2026 that's going to be domed in Nashville. So uh, looking forward to seeing how that looks. But you look at this game. So this is for the division lead. Okay, Titans and Colts are essentially tied. Colts have a tie on their resume, which of course they have with the Texans in week one. But if you look at Indianapolis, as ugly as some of their games have looked this season, they got a winning record. And for whatever reason, under Frank Reich, this seems to be the Colts' way. They get off to a rocky start. They get really hot late in the season. And if it's a case like 2018 or 2020, they make the playoffs. So every other year, they've, they've gotten in, should have gotten in last year if Carson Wentz didn't gag the last two games of the season, but that's neither here nor there. Matt Ryan played very well against Jacksonville last week. He had a, a game a few weeks before that against Kansas City where he played well. So it feels like he's starting to kind of find his stride. He's a veteran quarterback. He's been in these situations before. It's not going to rattle him. You got a Titans team coming into town, however, where Derrick Henry ran for over 100 yards against the Colts. It was his best game of the season. Uh, they're coming off a bye. Mike Vrabel, I think just the fact that Tennessee's coming off a bye, they are well coached, they're at home. And over the last few years, folks, they've tended to really have the, the Colts number. And so for that reason, I'm going to take the Titans to win this game 27-21. to 21. Look for another big Derrick Henry game, giving you about 120, 130 yards rushing. Uh, and I think it's just too much for the Colts to overcome. I, I, don't think they're, I don't think they're the type of an offense that can get into a shootout. And I, and I don't think that they'll be able to compete with, with the legs of Derrick Henry. Give me the Titans to win 27-21. to 21. We've got an interesting one. Next. The Green Bay Packers taking on the Washington Commanders. Green Bay in this game is favored at minus 4.5. 
Carson Wentz is going to be out a few games due to a broken finger. So Taylor Heineke is going to step in. Now, Taylor Heineke was, of course, the starter in that playoff loss a couple years back to Tampa Bay. Played very well in that game. Last year, started, I think, every single game for Washington last year. Had his moments where he looked like, hey, this kid might actually be a starter in the NFL. And then at games, you're like, okay, yeah, that dude's definitely a backup. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But he steps in. Hasn't played a game yet this season. Green Bay's defense has been very, very, very disappointing. You have Washington coming in after getting a big win in Chicago. All kinds of stories surrounding their organization. What's new in that regard involving one of the worst owners in sports, Dan Snyder. You have sort of the controversy with Ron Rivera and Carson Wentz. Does Ron Rivera even really like Carson Wentz that much? It doesn't sound like it the way he was talking a couple weeks back. But you have a lot of drama in Washington. As for the Packers, back-to-back losses to the two New York teams. Against the Giants, they blew a double-digit lead. What's new, Green Bay? And then for the Jets, got absolutely smoked at home, 27-10. Special teams mistakes, bad adjustments by by Matt LaFleur. Couldn't run the football. Aaron Rodgers seemed really, really gun-shy in the pocket. Everything that could have went wrong for Green Bay last week went wrong. So you're hearing a lot of that. You hear Aaron Rodgers talking about we need to simplify the offense. If Carson Wentz were playing, you guys think I hate Carson Wentz. I do think he's better than Taylor Heineke, though. I think think we all, for the most part, agree on that. If Carson Wentz were playing, I would seriously consider taking Washington. Uh, Green Bay, by the way, is a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I do not think they cover. I will give the Packers this win 24-20 to simply because... They got better players. Uh, now, Washington has had more time to prepare, so that's that's kind of you know something to look at. But listen, this is Aaron Rodgers against a Washington secondary that has been awful. As bad as the Packers receiving core is, give me Aaron Rodgers against that bad Washington secondary any day of the week. Packers get back on track, get back to a winning record, 24-20. Uh, However, I, I still don't think they're, they're going to make the playoffs. Next up, the game that Grady is attending, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the uh, Carolina Panthers. Don't think I've seen a situation where... A team as a heavy favorite the week before. Sorry, a double-digit favorite the week before. Loses. And is a double-digit road favorite again. As a matter of fact, the Bucs were, I think, 10-point favorites last week against Pittsburgh. They lost. The week later, they're 13-point favorites against Carolina. Honestly, I don't totally disagree with that. As bad as Tampa's offense looked last week and as bad as their defense looked, especially on third down against the likes of Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky. Carolina very well might be the worst team in the NFL. They're in that discussion with Houston. But when I'm looking at Carolina right now, they just traded Christian McCaffrey. They just traded Robbie Anderson. This will be Steve Kimes. It's not Steve Kimes. Steve Wilkes' second game as the interim head coach for the Panthers. But Tampa's coming into town. If there's anybody who responds to adversity well, if there's anybody who responds to the he's washed comments well, it's Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady has not played even close to the level that we are accustomed to him playing. Even the level that he played last year when I thought he should have been the MVP at age 44. 
This year, he's looked every bit of a 45-year-old quarterback. Some of that's offensive line issues. Some of that is the fact that the receiving core hasn't been quite healthy all season long. Some of that might be just the fact that Tom Brady has got his mind in a million different places right now. I think it could, or it could be all three. But given the fact that Tom has... I think he's only lost one time, if I'm not mistaken, to the Panthers. Sorry, twice to the Panthers in his career, but he's never lost in a Buccaneer uniform. Given the fact that that secondary against those Bucks receivers, it's 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 just it's just not a fair fight. Tampa's a play. I don't know. If, I don't know if Tampa Bay is a Super Bowl contender, but they're certainly a playoff team in the NFC. Certainly, when you have the greatest quarterback ever, Carolina feels like they're almost in tank mode. I think the Buccaneers go on the road, take care of the Panthers, thirty-one to fourteen. Uh, I think they, they they get out to a big lead early and then just pretty much go time management, clock uh, clock control late in the game, run the football with Leonard Fournette. Give me the Buccaneers over the Panthers, 31-14. to 14. For my next game, we've got some comments here. Quick question from Grady. Would a London NFL franchise work? Why or why not? Well, listen, I see why Goodell would want it. Uh, it'd be fascinating to see how that would work. But if the NFL wants an international franchise, either put one in Mexico or put one in Canada. Like, let's let's keep it within North America because then the travel gets really complicated. I mean, if you've got the London team playing the Los Angeles team, that's a long flight. And that's that, that's a lot of a lot of miles for the team in London to have to travel. I don't think it would work personally, but listen, uh, the, the NFL's made the, the impossible possible before, so we'll see. Grady says Carolina is just that bad. Tampa is a meh 10 and 7, 11 and 16. He said they'll be fine, but Brady isn't invested enough to win a Super Bowl. Brady got his head in the clouds. I agree. Uh, but again, despite that, if Tampa were playing just about anybody else in the NFL, I might pick them to either lose or not even cover. But Carolina's a mess right now. I mean, Carolina's got players arguing with coaches. They're, they're a train wreck. They don't know if Darnold's going to start or PJ Walker or if Baker Mayfield's back. Who knows? Who knows? Grady says, I feel like the CFL wouldn't let the NFL put a team in Canada. Uh, no, probably not. Uh, but my next game is, is one I'm really excited about. Because it is the, and I will say it again, the hashtag, which by the way is, is actually getting mentioned on First Things First on Fox Sports 1. Do want to point that out. Hashtag Return of the Deck. And as a matter of fact, this game happens to be my What a betting man. For a betting man game. So you've got the Detroit Lions. You've looked at the Dallas Cowboys. If I were a betting man, I'm looking at this game. Dallas is a seven-point home favorite. I say, okay, Dak Prescott's coming back. According to C.D. Lamb, according to Michael Gallup, according to Jerry Jones, according to Mike McCarthy, according to Dak Prescott himself, he's back. He looks great at practice. He looks every bit like he looked pre-injury. He's got the same zip on the ball. He's moving well. His arm strength is great. Dak Prescott is back. I thought he could have played last week. I think they were just trying to play conservative. You know, see if they can maybe nab a win in Philadelphia with Cooper Rush. They couldn't. Dak's back in the lineup against Detroit. But Dak's coming back into the lineup. Again, for a Cowboys team that's coming off a tough loss against Philadelphia. A game where, despite their quarterback laying an egg, only trailed by three going into the fourth quarter. And you've got a Detroit team at one and four. Now, Detroit, I predicted before the season, I said Detroit and Jacksonville would win six games and the majority of their losses would be close games, would be one-score type games where if they make one or two extra plays, they win. Detroit is one of the better one and four teams I've seen in recent memory. What do, you look at teams like the Chiefs, the Bills, and teams like that, what do the 
Lions have in common with those teams? They're top four in scoring. The Lions, folks, are the third best offense in football in terms of scoring. Problem is, they are the worst scoring defense. And that has often been what's let them down a lot of games. But if I'm looking at Detroit uh, through their first five games this season, okay, they scored 35 against the Philadelphia Eagles. This same Eagles defense that has shut a lot of teams down. Detroit scored 35 against them in the season opener. Okay, they've scored 36 against the Commanders, 24 against the Vikings, 45 against the Seahawks in a loss, and then they got shut out last a couple weeks ago against the Patriots. But they're coming off a bye. Dallas's defense, this could be their toughest test of the season, given the fact that Jared Goff has played well. The Lions get Amonra St. Brown back, who's played very, very well through the first part of the season. TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift has been good. And Detroit has, by the numbers, by the way they played, an underrated offensive line. Like, it's... I would dare to say that it is a... It's not a great offensive line, but it is a very good offensive line. Panay Sewell's been everything we thought it'd be coming out of the draft in 2021. He's going to have to deal with the likes of Micah Parsons. He got two first-round picks from last year. That's going to be a fascinating matchup because of the fact of how good those guys have been early in their NFL careers. But you got Dak coming back with a limited receiving core, but he's going against the worst scoring defense in the NFL. I think this is a shootout. I think it goes back and forth. Dak and Jared Goff have had some fun games in the past. Sometimes Dak has gotten the better end of it. Jared Goff has gotten the better in other occasions. I do not think Dallas covers. I'm going to take Detroit plus seven, but Dallas to win outright 30 to 28. If I were a betting man, I would take the Lions plus seven, but the Cowboys to win outright 30 to 28. So that this will actually be the most points the Cowboys have given up. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, the most points the Cowboys have scored this season because they have yet to get past 25 points. I think they will get to 30 with the return of Rain, Dakota, Prescott. That is my if I were a betting man game this week. Moving on to the most shocking 5-1 team in recent memory, the New York Giants, who are going on the road to a team that I just briefly touched on, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville in this game, despite playing a 5-1 team, is a three-point favorite. Now, this is an interesting one because you got the Giants coming in playing, by the way, great defense. We know Brian Dable today is the runaway coach of the year, the job that he has done. But here's what I think is interesting. Saquon Barkley, okay, he's he's first in the NFL in scrimmage yards. By the numbers, though, Jacksonville has a very good run defense. If they are able to, if not stop Saquon Barkley, limit him. Jacksonville also has gotten off to some hot starts in some of their games. Look at the Eagles game. Look at the Colts game. Look at the Chargers game. They actually won that one. Big. Jacksonville gets off to a hot start. If they are able to do that yet again, if they are able to stop Saquon Barkley and say, hey, Daniel Jones, beat us. I do not think Jacksonville will cover, but for that reason I mentioned, for that sort of brief game plan, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are able to hand the Giants their second loss of the season. Giants fans might think I don't believe in them. It's not that. But football is a game of matchups, and I don't think the matchups favor the Giants this week. Give me the Jaguars. I do think Trevor Lawrence will put them in position to uh, put the Giants in position to score occasionally because he's really struggled, kind of like Matthew Stafford. I don't know if it's a number one pick syndrome or what, but kind of struggled with turning the football over. But give me the Jaguars to beat the Giants 22-21. to Moving on to our next game. Okay, we've got the another divisional matchup. The Cleveland Browns taking on the Baltimore Ravens. This is an interesting one as well. Baltimore's favored at minus six and a half. 
Now, if I look at this, I say, okay, Baltimore has blown all three of their losses against the the uh, uh, Dolphins, against the Bills, and against the Giants. They have really struggled when it comes to holding double-digit leads. And they almost blew a double-digit lead to the Cincinnati Bengals at home. If it's not for some Lamar Jackson heroics late, aided by a Justin Tucker walk-off field goal, Baltimore's sitting here at 2-4. and four. As for Cleveland, they are sitting here at 2-4, and four, with Jacoby Brissett not playing great football. Nick Chubb has been tremendous through the first part of the season. What a shock. He's one of the three or four best backs in the NFL. The thing is, Baltimore's secondary is still, still pretty bad. But it's another situation where they're not playing a quarterback who I think can burn them. Tua is better than Jacoby Brissett. Obviously, Josh Allen's better than Jacoby Brissett. And given the fact that now he has what appears to be a, a good coach, I'm not so sure Daniel Jones isn't better than Jacoby Brissett. And so you have all those sort of variables coming into play here. I don't think this is a guy who, who can expose or burn the Baltimore Ravens secondary with the likes of Amari Cooper and company. And so th- I think this 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 feels like a little bit of a, a desperation situation for the Ravens. Lamar Jackson has, has historically played very well against the Cleveland Browns. And so, it, listen, Baltimore knows. They lose this game. They're, they're calling for John Harbaugh's head. They're calling for Lamar Jackson to be traded. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a panic city in Maryland. I don't think that'll happen. I do think the Ravens will cover 31-21. to 21. And it, it's something, too. It's a division rival. And desperation in the NFL is a very underrated thing. That's why you see a lot of teams that get embarrassed in week one come out in week two and play very well. Because first impressions are everything, and when you blow it in your first uh, first impression, that's you know that that's that's tough to swallow. So I will take the Ravens to win this one, thirty-one to twenty-one, and still believe in them to win the division. Uh, I will take Baltimore to to go ahead and win this game, and uh, if my predictions hold correctly, be tied with Cincinnati uh, for the division lead, and they will actually have the tiebreaker. So technically, they'll be in first. Moving into the afternoon window, this is an interesting one. The New York Jets taking on the Denver Broncos. Now, this line's gone back and forth. As of right now, it is Jets minus one. Now, the Jets sitting here, we think the Giants are a shock at five and one. I go so far as to argue the Jets are a little bit of a shock at four and two. And you're coming into a team that like the Denver Broncos who are two and four with a quarterback who has been about as bad as we could possibly imagine. I will continue to be embarrassed that I picked this team to win the Super Bowl. Anyways, here's what I'm thinking. We don't even know if Russell Wilson's going to play. Honestly, I'm not even sure that's a bad thing for the Broncos at this point in time. Russell's got a hamstring injury. Don't really know if he does have a hamstring injury because he hasn't played well through the first part of the season. And then we hear he's got shoulder problems. Now we hear he's got hamstring problems. I don't know. I don't know. But the point of it all is, you're playing a Jets defense, which is playing really confident. Scott Sauce Gardner is every bit right now the defensive rookie of the year. The Jets, over the last two drafts, has, have hit it out of the park with some of their early round picks. Zach Wilson is playing clean football. They're not asking him to do too much. Brees Hall's been running the ball well. Okay, you've got the situation right now with Elijah Moore. Uh, the, the whole, is he going to get traded or not? I'm not certain. But with the formula that Robert Saul's putting out there, kind of a lot of defensive coaches do this, right? These sort of rely on your defense, be conservative offensively, run the football, don't put your quarterback in positions to turn the ball over. Hey, we've seen it work time and time again. The Niners made a Super Bowl with this, this formula with Jimmy Garoppolo. The Cowboys won five starts with Cooper Rush with this formula. And it's working right now with Zach Wilson and the Jets. I think, I, I think right now, 
I've always said you can you can lose games, but the second a coach, or in this case, a quarterback loses the locker room, you're done. I think that's what's happened in Denver. I'm going to take the Jets to go to 5-1, and one, folks. Give me the Jets to win this game at 24-15 to 15 on the road against the Denver Broncos. Didn't think I'd be saying that before the season. But I think the Jets will be 5-1, and one, which is remarkable, and be tied, possibly, with the Buffalo Bills with five wins in that AFC East, which all of a sudden is very, very competitive. Give me the Jets, 24 to 15. Let's ride over the Denver Broncos. That's uh, great. Uh, Grady Edwards says, as Shannon Sharp said, we traded for a lemon. That the Denver Broncos did. They traded for a lemon. Seattle, Seattle might as well have handed Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. And what they got in return, too. Man, Seattle fleeced Denver. Moving on to the next game, it, it involves another AFC West team. You got the Houston Texans taking on the Las Vegas Raiders, two one-win teams. Texans sitting at one, three, and one. Raiders at one and four. Very well could be three and two. Probably should have beaten Kansas City a couple weeks back. Okay, they've had a seventeen nothing lead, couldn't hold it in the end. Week two, we know how they absolutely collapsed against the Arizona Cardinals after holding a big lead. And so you come into this one again, it's sort of the desperation situation. You're at home. You're playing a Houston Texans team that's been competitive in some spots. Had a big win against Jacksonville. Okay. Uh, also for Houston, who wasn't they played last week? Uh, and they, they 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 were pretty successful against Davis Mill. Played all right. Uh, uh, the the Chargers game came back, almost beat the Chargers. Coming off a bye, uh, I don't think Lovey Smith is the right fit for this team. I like Davis Mills. I think he's played well enough given what he's been put what's been put around him. The Texans defense is no joke. But the Raiders coming off a heartbreaking loss two weeks ago. I'm also not a big fan of Josh McDaniels. I think these are two head coaches that very well could be gone next season or the year after that. But you know me. I'm a big Derek Carr fan. Devontae Adams is still one of the, the premier receivers in the league. Got Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and company. They ran the ball very effectively against Kansas City as well. So I'm going to take the Raiders to win this game 30-23 to in a pretty exciting affair in Sin City. Give me the Vegas Raiders. By the way, they're seven-point favorites. So I do think they barely cover 30-23 to over the Houston Texans. Moving on to our next one, uh, this is actually, uh, I was thinking about doing a, a different game for this, but this week's Bryson's Bleak Bet, it's the one game, we all have those games every week where we're not certain, we can't say that we feel overly confident in, in, in this prediction, but we make it anyway, just because, listen, you, you gotta go out on a limb, that's, that's the fun of making predictions uh, in the NFL. This week's Bryson's Bleak Bet involves the Seattle Seahawks and the Los Angeles Chargers. L.A. is a five-point favorite at home. Seattle comes in at 3-3. Three and three. L.A. comes in at 4-2, and two, having barely escaped the Let's Ride Broncos on Monday Night Football. Now, I went sort of back and forth in this game because I said, okay, both teams have a bad rushing defense. Seattle and the Chargers do. The difference is Seattle commits to running the football. The Chargers don't. Justin Herbert threw the ball 57 times last week. They do not commit to the run. Some of that's the fact that they played a great Denver defensive line last week, great Denver front seven. You know, it, it's it's they tend to not really commit to, to, to running the ball as much as I think they should. But I thought about that. I thought about the fact that, listen, Geno Smith seems to have a great connection with Tyler Lockett, with uh, DK Metcalf. This feels like, to me, a game where the Chargers are coming off a big, emotional division win on primetime television. This is the, I mean, the perfect game to look at situational football. And I think Seattle has the advantage for two reasons. Number one, 
Dustin Hopkins, the Chargers kicker, is out three to four weeks with a hamstring injury. So they're going to be limited kicking the ball, which we've seen cost a lot of teams games. If they don't have a kicker, they ask the Arizona Cardinals. And they've lost a lot of games in the past involving kickers. Heck, the Chargers have lost a lot of games in the past because they didn't have a very good kicker. In this case, that's what it's going to be because Dustin Hopkins is out. And number two, because I think this will be close, who do you trust? Obviously, Justin Herbert's better than Geno Smith. Nobody's disputing that. Do you trust Brandon Staley or do you trust Pete Carroll? That's not even a discussion. Bryson's bleak bet. I hesitantly did this because I love Justin Herbert. And obviously the Chargers roster is better than the Seahawks roster. But I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks in a weird score, 25 to 23, in an upset over the LA Chargers. That's what I got. It's actually not my upset of the week. That is soon to come. Give me the Seattle Seahawks over the Los Angeles Chargers 25 to 23 for Bryson's bleak bet. Don't feel good about it. That's where I'm going. Uh, Grady asked, do you think Denver will figure it out this season? No. Short answer. No, I do not. Uh, Limited coach, uh, Nathaniel Hackett. I don't even even know if he is a head coach in the NFL. Uh, And he says, do you think also is Russell Wilson really this bad? Well, look, if you gave Russell Wilson Andy Reid, he'd certainly be more successful than he is with Nathaniel Hackett. Why? Because he was successful with the Hall of Fame coach and Pete Carroll. But when you look at the fact that he, for a weird reason, has stopped running, which is part of what made him so successful is his elusiveness. When you look at his accuracy, which has plummeted, when you look at his arm strength, which seems to to deteriorated in some regard, some of this is on Russ. Matter of fact, I think a lot of it's on Russ. His receivers are open. He's just not looking at him. Seattle's offense kind of tailored to him in a way that it made it easier for him to succeed. Why do I know that? Because Geno Smith succeeded in that same offense. So I, I don't think Russell Wilson is this bad. Having Nathaniel Hackett doesn't help matters. He'd be more successful with Andy Reid or Sean McVay, but it's... A lot of it's on him. Let's put it that way. A lot of it's on him. Moving on to our next game, kind of the marquee game of the week. It's a Super Bowl rematch, a recent Super Bowl rematch, Super Bowl 54, which was played in Miami between the Kansas City Chiefs, who won the game, and the San Francisco 49ers. Kansas City on the road in this game is favored minus two. San Francisco obviously just acquired Christian McCaffrey last night. All accounts are it looks like he's going to play. He practiced today. Uh, War number 23. Okay, so, and it looks like, you know, again, he's he's traded to the 49ers, and in less than 72 hours, he's going to play a game for the 49ers. It looks like he's going to be on a snap count, which it's the right move by, by San Francisco. Can't just put a guy out there when he barely knows the playbook. Um, but I do think Christian McCaffrey is going to have an impact on this game. Again, Kansas City really, really struggles to stop the run. So I think that's going to be something that gives the 49ers a lot of success early in the game. So look for San Francisco to kind of jump out to a big double-digit lead, 10 to nothing, 13 to nothing, something like that. Well, what do we know about the 49ers? When they ask Jimmy G to put the game away or to win the game for him, more times than not, it doesn't work so well. What did I also say a couple weeks back when the Chiefs beat the Raiders? I said there is no quarterback with respect to Tom Brady and John Elway and guys like that. Down double digits, there's no quarterback in NFL history I want more than Patrick Mahomes. None. Because not only does he more times not come back from double digits down, he does it quickly. You know, he's down, I always use the Houston example, the playoff game, where he's down 24 to nothing with 10 minutes left in the half, and the Chiefs go into the locker room with the lead. And even the Raiders game, 
down 17 to nothing midway through the second quarter. Midway through the third quarter, Chiefs had the lead. That's what Patrick Mahomes does. That's how explosive he is and how explosive that this Chiefs is, uh, offense is in terms of being able to, to get the ball in the short game to Travis Kelsey, being able to hit the occasional big play to Juju Smith-Schuster. The, the, the connection with Marquez Valdez-Scantling still isn't quite there yet. You look for Andy Reid to maybe get him involved in some reverses here and there. But I think the Niners are going to get out to a big double-digit lead. But you still have those doubts creeping in. I mean, heck, how did the Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl? Down double digits with just six minutes to go in the Super Bowl. And they scored three straight unanswered touchdowns. And Jimmy Garoppolo himself, as, as mentioned in the unanswered points part of it, he had no answer. Missed Emmanuel Sanders uh, infamously on that deep throw, and then the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. I think the Chiefs will win this game at 27 to 23. I think they cover. I think the again the same things that beat San Francisco last time is going to beat them this time. They'll get pressure on Mahomes. That Chiefs offensive line has had has had moments where it's really struggled, but eventually. Andy Reid will make the necessary adjustments. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs to win 27-23 to over the San Francisco 49ers. Real quick, uh, we got a comment here from Grady. He says, how good the Rams going to be? They're kind of meh right now. Well, they're on a bye week, which comes a good time for them because they're dealing with injuries. They got the Cam Akers situation, which is kind of weird. Looks like his days in L.A. are over. Matt Stafford's not playing well. Uh, again, bye week came at a good time. Look for the Rams to have a good performance next week. I'm not aware of, of who they're playing, so we'll see. Uh, but, but yeah, bye week comes a good time for the Rams. I still believe them to kind of turn things around, but we'll see what happens. Last game of the week actually happens to be my upset of the week. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers to upset the Miami Dolphins, who are seven-point favorites. Give me Pittsburgh to win back-to-back games for the first time this season and do it in Miami. Here is why. So the big story in this one, <clears throat> excuse me, the big story in this one, Tua's back. After two games off, missing games against the, uh, uh, crap, who was it the Dolphins played? I'm blanking right now. Oh, yeah, he missed, I'm sorry, he missed one game. Missed the Vikings game. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, he missed the Jets game, he missed the Vikings game, now he's back for this one against the Steelers uh, after just barely over three weeks since one of the more scary concussions we've seen in recent memory. He just so happens to be playing another quarterback who also suffered a concussion last week. Uh, didn't look like look didn't look like he was you know looking so good. Talking about talking about Kenny Pickett, who was not able to finish that game against Tampa. Mitch Trubisky came in off the bench and did a good job converting some big third downs against that Tampa Bay defense to get the Steelers their second win of the year. And so for Miami, there's a lot of popping circ- circumstance with this game. Number one, it's Sunday Night Football. Number two, they get their be- their starting quarterback back. Number three, they're celebrating the only undefeated team in NFL history, the 1972 Miami Dolphins. And certainly they'll be looking uh, to, to, to toast. Not not this week because the Eagles are on a bye week, so they're, they're looking forward to when the, the Eagles lose their first game of the year so that they can celebrate together uh, and be able to, to, to come together and, and, and have dinner and whatnot, which they do every year when, when the last undefeated team loses. But with all the pomp and circumstance of this game, with all the pressure, with all the looming story with Tua. Again, I remind you, Dolphins got off to that 3-0 start, haven't won since. I feel like there could be a level of hesitation from Tua. I think this is a game where you've got Mike Tomlin versus Mike McDaniel. And again, situationally, who you taking? I'm, giving, I'm taking Mike Tomlin. 
Something else, too, that I think is very underrated. There's somebody on that Steelers coaching staff that knows Tua and the Dolphins all so well because he coached them the last three years. His name, Brian Flores. Brian Flores, a defensive assistant for the Pittsburgh Steelers, knows the Dolphins, knows Tua inside and out. We've seen this play before. Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the New York Giants, was with, with Baltimore for a while. What did he do in the second half against the Ravens and Lamar Jackson? Shut him down. I think we can see more of the same in this game. And so my upset of the week, give me the Pittsburgh Steelers to upset the Miami Dolphins 24-21 to and give Mike Tomlin a chance. We know we all know the stat to put him in, himself in position to continue to never have a losing record in his time in Pittsburgh. I will take the Pittsburgh Steelers to beat the Miami Dolphins 24-21 to in my upset of the week. I feel good about my picks. I'm 1-0 this week. I feel good. I think my pick's going to pan out. I expect to have possibly my best week of the season thus far. So far, that's been week two. I went 11-5. and five. I think I will top that this week. Love my picks. And, uh, yeah, that's that's how I feel. So that is all the time we have for today's show. appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. Also, be sure to catch the Carving It Up podcast on the Grid Network. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Anchor, as well as wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, like, share, comment, and most importantly, hit that big red subscribe button on this YouTube channel, Carving It Up Podcast. It helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to also like, share, comment, and most importantly, hit that big red subscribe button on the Grid Network where every Carving It Up show is, is, is at. You know, this show you're watching right now, all of our full shows are on the Grid Network on YouTube. Clips from our shows, from other shows on the Grid, all even podcasts, Clutch Sports Talk, the Rocket Fuel Jets podcast, uh, the, the Chaotic Sports Podcast. We got everything. We got everything over there. And we're adding more, by the way. It's a, it's a continuing process. We're building the Grid. Looking forward to see where that continues to progress. We've already gotten off to a great start and hoping that continues. So, hope everybody has a great weekend. Continue to stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. And by the way, trend that hashtag return the deck. You know what to do now. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.